everyone, and welcome back to JCM Prepare the Way. My name is Carol, and Mallory and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. Wherever you're listening in the world, we're just so grateful that you're tuning in. And unfortunately, Mallory can't be with me in today's episode. Um, One of her little ones is sick and has been for a few days, and so she told me to carry on without her, which is super hard for this particular topic because we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And Mallory loves talking about the Holy Spirit. So we're doing this two-part series, and today is the Holy Spirit as our indwelling helper. And part two, we are going to cover those, that controversial topic of the gifts of the Spirit. And so Mallory, even though she can't be with us on this one, she's going to really try hard to be on the one about the gifts because she loves talking about the gifts. So I'm going to give it my best shot and, um, and get us through this one without her. You know, speaking of that word controversy, if there is one topic of controversy in the church today, actually there's many, but if there's one in particular, it truly is the topic of the Holy Spirit. People do not understand who the Holy Spirit is and how he's supposed to help them today. And when I say people, I mean believers, because I tell you what, Mallory and I get asked questions about the Holy Spirit all the time. A lot of believers truly do not understand what his role is in our life. And, you know, that's not the only, I think, difficult topic for the church right now. There's a lot happening in culture, and the church is being pressed to talk about difficult issues. And some churches are still kind of shying away from that. Maybe not yours. Maybe yours is hitting, you know, a home run and hitting it out of the park and talking about everything and getting you guys all equipped and prepared, right? Well, there's a lot of churches that aren't talking about these things. And I'm talking about topics like abortion, for example. That is a hot button in society today. And we need to talk about it as believers. Or what about sexual identity? That's another big one in culture. Or what about spiritual warfare? You know, a lot of people are in bondage to a lot of things and don't know how to get set free. Or how about this one? The return of the Lord. You know, a lot of us are looking around at everything going on in the world today, right? And we're like scratching our head like, okay, something's coming. Well, and we're not talking about these things. And I'm not sure why, because there's nothing wrong with wrestling through difficult topics together. We're not all going to agree on everything, but we can at least see what scripture says about it. We can see what God has to say in those matters, right? But instead, we either shy away or we quickly gloss over them. We leave no room for discussion, which is, which is so unfortunate. Because what's happening, my friends, whether you know it or not, and maybe you're one of these people that I'm about to mention, we're finding these answers on our own. If the church isn't talking about it, it hasn't stopped any of you out there. You're meeting with people over coffee. Your Bible study's talking about it. You are going on hikes or walks. We're having dinners, and it's becoming the topic of dinner conversations. That's what's happening. People are starting to uh, search out the answers to these questions because it's pressing in on every side. And so Mallory and I decided, you know what? Let's start that same conversation. Let's start talking about some of these things. We're not going to have all the answers. You're not going to have all the answers. No one has all the answers. But at least we can start getting us all thinking about things, right? So we're excited to talk about all this. We're excited to talk about the Holy Spirit. We might bring some things up that you never heard before. We might bring some things up that you're going to scratch your head and be like, well, I I probably need to research that and wrestle through it. And that's okay. That's fine with us. 
but especially as it pertains to the gifts, the next episode, oh boy, there are so many people that have questions about the gifts. And I had questions about the gifts for the first half of my Christian walk. We're talking years. But you know what's so interesting about the gifts before I move on to the indwelling of the Spirit? They've always been in the Bible, and they've always been available to the church. And yet with the majority of Christians, they've gone unrecognized and unused. But today, whether you know this or not, increasing numbers of men and women within the church, in every position, whether you know it or not, even within your own church, their lives or those ministries, they are being revitalized, re-empowered, and redirected by the exercise of those spiritual gifts. I encounter and work with a lot of different people from different church denominations all over Colorado. And I'm telling you, this is going on. But how do these people come by these gifts in the first place? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what happened with Pentecost. And Pentecost, this is the year 2022. I'm not sure when you'll listen to this, but it's coming up on June 5th this year. And it's a good idea to start understanding what happened on Pentecost. And it's found in your Bible in the opening chapter of Acts. And it's going to explain all these things. But before we get to that, let's recall a couple of things in the Gospels. First of all, John the Baptist, he introduced Jesus as the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, right? He was the one that was baptizing with water, but there was going to come someone greater than him that was going to baptize with fire, but baptize with the Holy Spirit. And it was a distinctive introduction to the people of Israel that something different was coming. And boy, did something different come. Because the Holy Spirit, when he does come, when he did come, he was the source of power for the whole ministry and teaching of Jesus. Jesus depended totally on the Holy Spirit, my friends. If you note in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Jesus, after he was baptized, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward when they had ended, he was hungry. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out throughout all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit after he was baptized. He was led by the Spirit into the desert. And then he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And that's when his ministry started. And Jesus promised his disciples something very interesting in the height of all this. That when he himself would go back to heaven, he would send the Holy Spirit in his place. And he would be his personal representative he would be what's called their paraclete. Some of your Bibles might say counselor. He might say comforter. It might say helper. But what the Holy Spirit is, is the one who was called in alongside to help us. He will be our paraclete. He would be their paraclete, their helper. And so now we want to consider that fulfillment of that promise that Jesus made. How did it get fulfilled? 
In particular, we want to consider the wonderful thing that happened when the Holy Spirit descended on people. And that was on the day of Pentecost. And in order to understand Pentecost, we need to realize that this promise Jesus made to his disciples, right? To have the helper come to them. It was fulfilled in a couple of phases. On Easter Sunday, which is Jesus's resurrection, John 20 verses 19 to 22 talks about when Jesus revealed himself to his disciples. Remember, they were locked in a room in fear. They were afraid of the Jews. And he shows himself, he reveals himself to them. And he breathed on them. Read that passage. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now the Greek word for spirit here is breath or wind. So something very important happened in this moment. The disciples were born again or regenerated. Let me explain. They became new creations through the inbreathed breath of God, similar to what took place in Genesis 2-7, where the breath of God that day transformed that figure of clay into a living soul. This is a direct parallel to that. Jesus breathed into them resurrection life. So Resurrection Sunday was the beginning. But almost all theologians and commentators on Scripture agree that the final and complete fulfillment took place on the day of Pentecost. This became the actual manifestation and fulfillment. So Jesus' resurrection and then he breathes on them the regeneration spirit, that spirit, the Holy Spirit that would regenerate them into a new creation. But Pentecost Sunday became something that fulfilled that in completion. Let me read to you Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now the book of Acts is written by Dr. Luke, who was very detailed and very precise in his writings. So when you're reading this description, Dr. Luke is recounting this very vividly for everyone who is going to read this. Something completely different and new took place on this particular Sunday, this day of Pentecost. The Spirit of God was poured out. And this was confirmed by Peter when he began to preach shortly after that. He said that Jesus was not only resurrected, but that he was also exalted and that he was also glorified. In Acts chapter 2, verse 32 and 33, Peter says, This Jesus... God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Jesus is now exalted in sitting at the right hand of the Father, but they poured out the promise of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete which is now what the people were seeing and hearing. 
And so we have two wonderful Sundays to celebrate. We have Easter Sunday, which is Jesus's resurrection and that in-breathed spirit for regeneration, right? And then Pentecost Sunday, where we have the glorified Christ and the outpoured spirit. And these events are significant. The Holy Spirit came down to earth as promised. He is now a resident here and the personal representative of the Godhead on the earth. And Jesus said that he would stay with us forever, not just a few brief years. So we better start getting to know him. That's why he says in John chapter 14, 16, 18, and I will pray to the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, all of you out there, you know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. How will Jesus come to them? Through the person of the Holy Spirit, that Holy Ghost. Friends, the world can't know him, but you can. He is your helper and he is the spirit of truth. In a world right now, fraught with lies, where the truth has become lies and lies have become truth, you, if you ask the Holy Spirit of truth to show you truth in all situations, all controversial topics, he will, because that's his job. So Jesus fulfilled that promise that he made to the disciples on the day of Pentecost. Jesus, as a person, had gone back to the Father in heaven, the ascension that's found in Acts chapter 1. And then from the Father and Son together, the Holy Spirit was sent to come and take the place of Jesus here. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now, my friends. It's the Holy Spirit who is here to continue his ministry on the earth. And he does this through holy vessels born-again believers in Jesus Christ. That's you and that's me. Scripture says the Holy Spirit lives in two places. First, he lives in his church, the corporate body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 3.16. But the second place he lives is in you and me individually, personally. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Your body is not your own. Think about that. You are now owned and filled with and the housing of the Holy Spirit within you. He is revealed not only in the corporate body of Jesus Christ, he, that is not the only place the Holy Spirit is revealed. But God's purpose was that the body of each believer would be the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And for a simple person like me, that truly is one of the most breathtaking statements found anywhere in Scripture, that the God of heaven, the creator of the universe, El Shaddai, our Lord and Master, the Lord of hosts, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit of God, the great I am, is dwelling in our physical bodies. That's powerful to me. And so what do we do with them? Or rather, what is he here to help us with? 
because he is that first and foremost. He's our helper, the paraclete, someone who's called alongside to help, right? Someone who can do something for you that you cannot do for yourself or me. And John uses the same word in 1 John chapter 2, where he says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That word translated here as advocate is the source word for paraclete. It's somebody called in. And that word advocate is the same Latin word for lawyer. It's someone who speaks in our defense. So scripture is telling us that we have two advocates, my friends. On earth, we have the Holy Spirit. He pleads our cause. The things we can't say right, he says for us. The things we don't understand, he interprets for us. That's his job. But then we have a second advocate in heaven, Jesus. He is our advocate with the Father. He pleads our cause. That's why it says in Hebrews, he ever lives to make intercession for us. How wonderful is that? We have two of the greatest advocates in the universe. Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, sitting at his right hand, and the Holy Spirit on earth. How can we ever lose a case? Ever. Right? It's so powerful. When we truly understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it makes me, it makes me think of that verse, what, if God is for us, who can be against us? And that is such a true statement, more true than we even give it credit for. If God is for us, my friends, who or what out there in the world can be against you? People might be able to kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. You know, in that passage of John, I want to point out a couple things. It says, Father, the Father will give you another helper. I already mentioned that. Actually, the Bible already says counselor and comforter. But it's not just those words. The Father will give you another helper. That's the word I want to point out. The word another. It indicates it's a person. Jesus is saying, I'm a person. And when I go away, I'll give you another person. And how can the Holy Spirit be a person? He is a spirit. He's called the Holy Ghost. Because he feels through us. He speaks through us. He lives within us, right? Jesus also says in that passage, he'll be with us forever. Jesus was with them three and a half years, but something else was coming in his place that would never leave them. He says, I will live in you and be in you, in you. In other words, We are going to be the resident of the spirit of Jesus. And when he says, I will not leave you orphans, Jesus didn't go away and leave them no provisions. Provisions, he left them in the best possible care. And when he says in that verse, I will come to you, Christ went back to his disciples in the form of the Holy Spirit. While in his body, he could only be in one place at a time in Israel, right, Jesus? He was limited by time and space, but now through the Holy Spirit living in believers, he is free from the limitations of time and space. He can be in the desert with the believer. He can be in the jungles with the believer. He can be in a country, uh, Africa, Pakistan, wherever, anointing a preacher to preach. He can be strengthening a missionary in another place. The presence of Jesus can be even in our Bible studies, even at our kitchen table, right? It's just so powerful to think about that. 
And one thing I want to point out is when Jesus said, I'm going to go be, I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? That's found in John 16. Because I have said these things, you're filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it's good that I go away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. The paraclete, the comforter, the helper. But if I go, I will send him to you. It's good that Jesus had to leave, my friends. It's very clear language here. As long as I'm with you in person on earth, then the Holy Spirit has to stay in heaven. What happened when Jesus departed was an exchange of divine persons. Jesus said, it is good that I go away. The King James Version says, it, ex- is, it is expedient for you. That's a, it's a profound statement. We are better off with Jesus in heaven and the Holy Spirit on earth than we would be with Jesus on earth and the Holy Spirit in heaven. That's what he's saying here. Few people realize that statement. It is good that I go away. Christians are always saying, if only I could have lived in the days when Jesus was on earth. But Jesus is clearly saying, it's for our own good that I go away. How is it for our own good? Because with Jesus in heaven and the Holy Spirit on earth, we have more than those who walked with him on earth. The ministry of Jesus can now go far and wide through the power of the Holy Spirit in every blood-bought, born-again believer. And not only that, with the Holy Spirit's indwelling, with his counsel, with the fruits of the Spirit, with the gifts of the Spirit, Christians are equipped for the task of taking the gospel far and wide. We lack nothing in Christ Jesus. Where the disciples were limited in their understanding of the ministry while Jesus was on earth, right? They didn't understand the things, some of the things he was saying. But they came to understand after the, after the Holy Spirit outpouring at Pentecost. Not only that, after Pentecost, they became extremely bold. Where they, were, where they were running in fear before. Remember, they were hiding out in their home after Jesus' death and resurrection, hiding behind locked doors. Well, the moment the Holy Spirit came, it changed all that. They were bold. They were filled with courage. And one more thing, they all of a sudden were experiencing supernatural experiences and confirmations. The moment the Holy Spirit came, miracles began to take place. It was as if Jesus was back with them in person. For Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, I'll come back in him. I will come to you, scripture says. That's what that means. I'll come back in him. I will be with you. I will not leave you orphans. And we're going to change the world. You saw miracles in Israel. Let's go into Europe. Let's go to South America. Let's go over to Australia. Let's go into Canada. Let's come to Colorado. Let's really show the world the exceeding greatness of the power that is at work in all who believe. These are such great reminders from scriptures for us, my friends. And let's just mention a couple more of how the Holy Spirit meets our needs in specific ways. He's our helper. We get that. I've kind of, I think I've really hit that home. But he also reveals God's word. John chapter 14, 25, 26 says, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, 
He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Well, Jesus is the Word, and the words in Scripture are Holy Spirit inspired. So the first thing is he is to remind. He is going to remind, bring things to remembrance for the disciples. He is going to help the disciples recall all the things they did together, and us too. And then he's going to teach. He is our present teacher on the earth. That's why it says, I believe in Romans, he who's led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. We have to be led and taught by the spirit of the living God. See, this placed the disciples on a level with the Old Testament prophets. On the subject of prophets, we see in 2 Peter 1, where he says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The accuracy and the authority of the Old Testament prophets was that of the Holy Spirit himself. He was the one responsible for what they said as he rested on them. He inspired them. He carried them along. But this is also true of the writings of the New Testament. Jesus made sure the Holy Spirit would remind the disciples of all that he had said and would teach them all that they still needed to know. The Holy Spirit is the true author of Scripture, moving through these men who became authors of Scripture. And an example of this was on the day of Pentecost, when Peter stood up and preached the Word of God, Old Testament passages, and he preached it, and 3,000 people got saved. Or what about when Paul was blinded on the road to Damascus and sent to Ananias? Scripture tells us in Acts chapter 19, 17, that and Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, Paul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. What happened after that? Paul began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus was the Son of God. It was a revelation of Jesus as the Word. Paul was now filled with the revelation of the Word of God and preaching that Word in the synagogues. The moment the Holy Spirit came in, he had a totally different understanding. And that's what happens. The Holy Spirit is the only one who reveals and glorifies Jesus. That's his job. Never forget that. We may talk about fruit, we may talk about gifts, but his job is to always reveal Jesus and glorify Jesus. And then another way that the Holy Spirit helps us is he helps us in prayer. In Romans 8, 14, Paul described our need for the Holy Spirit's guidance to lead the Christian life when he said, for as many are as led by the Spirit of God, oh, I just said this, these are the sons of God. To live as a Christian, my friends, we must be continually led by the Spirit of God, even if it's unpopular, even if it's going against the grain in some of your circles. And the form of the verb that Paul uses here is to, quote, continually be led. And further on in Romans, Paul applied this principle being led by the Holy Spirit, particularly in our prayer life. When he says in Romans 8, 26, 27, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, 
but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Do you see that in that scripture? That we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself does. He's the one that prays for us, makes intercession for us, which groanings which cannot be uttered. I experienced that once in Atlanta years and years ago. If you've ever lived in Atlanta, you know exactly what I'm about to say. The highways are violent. It is such violent traffic there. And the highways are huge and people drive incredibly fast. And I came up on a violent accident that I don't think I've ever seen a scene like that since then. And all of a sudden I was driving home. I was working at a church and I was driving home, getting ready to get off my exit and passed by that. And literally bubbling up out of me were these, it was like a groan. I, I, I cried all the way home. I wept. I cried. I didn't say anything, but there was like this deep groaning within me. And that I, I came home. I'm like, that must be what that scripture is talking about. It was a groan. I had no words except tears, but he made intercession through that. I believe he did for the people that were in that wreck. And it's he who searches the hearts. He knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. It's always about the will of God, my friends. And it's not a physical weakness they're talking about, but a weakness of mind and understanding. So the Holy Spirit's Holy Spirit helps us in that to know what to pray for and how to pray. And all of these reminders are so good. And I just want to mention one more thing before we close out this part. That the next main result of the coming of the Holy Spirit is that we are lifted onto a supernatural plane of living. That word supernatural scares a lot of you out there. Well, guess what? God is supernatural. What Jesus did when he rose from the dead was supernatural, right? The Holy Spirit is supernatural. And there are two interesting verses in Hebrews to take note of. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, it says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. I'm going to pause there a minute. First, believers are enlightened. We are enlightened from the Holy Spirit and it blows any new age enlightenment away, my friends. There is nothing that compares to being enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, they have tasted the heavenly gift, the gift of eternal life. What peace that brings to someone, right? Third, they have shared in the Holy Spirit. Fourth, they have tasted the word of God. His word becomes living and real to us. And fifth, they've tasted the powers of the coming age. Wow, 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 wow. Believers get a taste now of that supernatural life with God, a little bit of the life that is to come in the next age. That is awesome. It's quite amazing to think about. I get so excited thinking about that. You know, if we studied the New Testament with an open mind, we are compelled to acknowledge that the whole life and experience of the early Christians was permeated in every part by the supernatural. 
Supernatural experience was not something incidental or additional. They were integral. They were an integral part of their whole lives as Christians. Their prayers were supernatural. Their preaching was supernatural. They were supernaturally guided. They were supernaturally empowered. They were supernaturally transported in some of these verses. They were supernaturally protected. You cannot deny this when you read the New Testament. You remove the supernatural from the book of Acts, and you're left with something that has no meaning or coherence, right? From the, de- from the descent of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 and onwards, it is impossible to find a single chapter in which the record of the supernatural does not play an essential part. So how does the church today have such a hard time with this? I don't get it. We will embrace everything else that went on in Acts, right? We want to preach on it and talk about it, but we avoid the supernatural because the supernatural is the one thing we can't control. I mean, it's just, there's just so much to it. And I think this is a great place to maybe leave us off. We're set up now for part two of this series where we are going to dig into this now more because the Holy Spirit gave them particular things in order to live these supernatural lives. And we're going to talk about these three areas in scripture where supernatural gifts were poured out for people, even poured out for how the church is to be in operation. And so we're going to talk about that in part two. But I hope today at least gets you thinking, this is not an exhaustive teaching on the Holy Spirit by any means. Know that he's your helper. Know that he reveals the word of God to you. Know that he's supernatural. Know that his job is to glorify Jesus, right? Know that he is your teacher. He is here, my friends, to help us, to strengthen us when the times get tough, right? To strengthen our inner man like never before. And boy, oh boy, do we need him now more than ever. God bless you. Mm -hmm.